Beyond the four walls of our local church building is the church, the universal body of Christ, a vibrant living organism. It's eclectic, it's bold, it's colourful, and it's resilient. A cacophony of languages, sounds, people, and practices where every voice comes together to tell the story of God throughout the centuries. I'm your host, Jordan, from Open Doors, and together we'll hear from people from all over the global church and meet believers who follow Jesus in some of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. In the face of tremendous pressure, God is moving. This is The Whole Story. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Whole Story Podcast. Now for this episode, I brought some of my favourite members of the Open Doors Australia and New Zealand team in to chat about their recent trip to meet persecuted believers in a country in Southern Asia. Now, unfortunately, for security reasons, we couldn't name the actual country that they visited. But wow, their stories were so powerful. I was surprised and stunned at the depth of the persecution that the people they met really experienced from a governmental level, from their communities, their families, uh, and from extremists. Now, there were eight of us that squeezed into one little room in the Castle Hill office, and it was so awesome to be in one room together since we're usually catching up online. We had people with us from Brizzy, the Sunshine Coast, Bendigo, Melbourne, and even from New Zealand, and each of them had their own beautiful reflections from people that they'd met that I'm sure you will find as inspiring and as convicting as I did. So here are some reflections from the field from the team at Open Doors Australia and New Zealand. guys it's so fantastic to be with you all Um, and so nice to all be in person together as we record this we're usually in different uh, states and uh, countries even so it's so lovely to all be together. Um, Joel can you tell us a little bit about the group um, who who everyone is and what their roles are um, at Open Doors and, and maybe give us a bit of insight into your day to day. Well, thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. All of us were stoked to have the opportunity to do so. My name is Joel and I work in the partnerships team here in Sydney. I mean, in the room, we have a fantastic group of frontline practitioners, which are our front facing people for Open Doors in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and so in the room, uh, we're, it's greatly, it's awesome to be here in Sydney all in the run room. You're right. We're usually spread across the continent. Uh, So in the room, we have Pete, uh, who leads our team in Queensland and New Zealand. Uh, We have Ewan, who is one of our relationship managers in New Zealand. We have Jess Williams, uh, who's a support for all of us in New South Wales and Victoria in the Southern states of Australia. We have Sarah and Nathan, uh, who are relationship managers in Victoria. Um, and yeah, we have myself, who's located here in Sydney with a bunch of great uh, relationship managers. Uh, And so yeah, it's a great privilege to be on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about what, what it looks like to actually be a frontline practitioner or to be actually in going to the churches. Tell us what that, that kind of looks like. Yeah, one of the great privileges of our role is to is to engage with the mission of Open Doors Australia and New Zealand. And a part of that mission is firstly to strengthen the persecuted church, which we, which we love doing. It's a big part of our ministry since the dawn uh, with Brother Andrew. And one of the other parts of our twofold mission is to help strengthen the church in Australia and New Zealand through the stories of the persecuted church. And so the aim is to deepen one another's discipleship journey. And so us front-facing people, we have partnerships with churches, with schools, with colleges and other ministry organizations. And we foster those relationships to carry out that twofold mission. And that first part of the mission is to strengthen 
strengthen persecuted believers. And so we do that through creating awareness, through prayer support, get, equipping churches and believers with prayer resources, and also through financial support, which helps with the practical needs of believers. And then the second part of our mission there is to help the Australian and New Zealand church in the discipleship journey. So we tell them the stories of the persecuted church so that they can learn of the lessons of boldness and courage um, and love and forgiveness and how to work out our Christianity where there's a cost. And so it's a great privilege of what we get to do. Um, And so we meet with pastors during the week. um, We speak at churches. We equip, equip churches to run their own Open Door Sundays. Uh, And it's a great privilege to do that. And if there's anyone on this podcast that wants open doors at their youth group or in the church or at their school, we'd love to be able to help them with that. Um, And we love our roles. It's fantastic. That's so awesome because you guys actually got to go to the field and that's why you're here um, today. You're going to share some stories from uh, a country in Southeast Asia that we we, we actually can't name for security reasons. Um, But listeners might be aware of uh, this plethora of countries and religions. Uh, In this region, we have India, uh, we have Nepal, Afghanistan. Um, It's quite a diverse atmosphere. And this particular country um, that you guys are visiting uh, has had a long uh, history of different groups of people uh, resulting in civil wars, uh, terrorist activity, and and just all-round instability. We have high levels of poverty and religious persecution. Uh, What were your initial uh, expectations at the beginning of your trip? Uh, What kind of things did you expect to experience? And uh, maybe what surprised you about your time there? Thanks, Jordan. Um, I I envisioned uh, a typical missions trip. I'd been on many mission trips before and I'd only been on staff for a couple of weeks and so I was expecting would meet incredible people. I imagined would eat great food, which we did. It was very hot food. And I expected to have meaningful moments with believers and I experienced all these things and, and a lot more. Um, what uh, what we witnessed was pastors and, and leaders doing amazing work, work uh, amongst significant hardship, things like bombings and persecution and harassment and, and many more uh, challenging things. And so a couple of things that surprised me, one was the resilience of Christians in the face of great opposition. That was just quite uh, remarkable and seeing their faith that was uh, real and deep. And it was common to hear pastors uh, that you know they'd been fasting and they'd been uh, praying and and often getting up at three a, three a.m. in the morning and just this reliance on God was just something that was was palpable and. Uh, we met, uh, you know, families who had been through significant hardships, yet their trust in God was unwavering and steadfast. Another thing that really hit me uh, that was different to any other trip I'd been on was the depth of forgiveness amongst the believers. And uh, 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 they're having a significant hardship, but the first thing was forgiveness. And I won't share the full story, but there was a, a woman who had undergone a deeply painful experience as a result of a, a shooting. And her immediate response was, Father, forgive them. This genuine sense of forgiveness that had a real lasting impact on me that her first response was forgiveness it wasn't why God it was forgiveness and uh, probably the last thing was a a real I had a real uh, I was genuinely challenged to contemplate the cost of being a believer in persecuted countries and the question I asked myself coming away from the trip is would I be willing to lay down my life and it's a question I've never had to consider before and really made me think about what Paul said for me to live is to for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, you know, Paul went through significant hardships. He was stoned and he was hated and he was shipwrecked and imprisoned. But 
um, amongst all this, he had joy and he'd counted the cost. And so for a lot of believers there, it wasn't so much a question of, will you come and follow Jesus? It was the question of, would you be willing to lay down your life to follow Jesus? And so that was something that had a significant impact on me, Jordan. Thanks, um, Pete, for sharing. And thanks, Jordan. It's a great um, question. Um, For me, mine probably comes from quite a sort of personal level. Um, I've worked with Open Doors for many years now and um, this was the first time for me travelling to the field. So this was the first time in actually seeing a lot of our work and our projects um, in action and actually it was definitely probably my first trip on my first mission trip, unlike Pete who'd been on many. Um, And so for me personally before going on the trip, um, you know, I'm a mum. I have two young kids, school-aged kids and a husband and a very busy life back home. Um, And so for me to go um, on the trip, you know, there was a practical side of things. It was leaving my family. It was leaving my kids, um, logistically setting up life to sort of run, um, run without me for a week, which they, you know, they were very capable of doing, which was great. But um, again, for me, this was the furthest I had ever been away from my family. It had been the furthest I'd ever travelled overseas. So there were a lot of firsts for me in that. Um, And so if I'm really honest, I did I probably went in with, you know, a a stomach full of of nerves. I was quite nervous about the travelling. I was nervous about being away. I was really nervous about the things that we'd encounter. I was nervous about meeting with the people that we were going to meet with because I I didn't know the impact it would have on my life and the things that I would experience. Um, But in God's great faithfulness, um, I was really open about the way I was feeling before I left. And obviously the team back in the um, office here were praying for us collectively as a team and obviously my family and friends back home. And, and I don't know why I was surprised by this, but I was, um, I personally felt an immense, unexplainable sense of peace while we were traveling. Um, you know, for someone who's probably, yeah, was quite nervous about going away, leaving her kids and family. I, I feel bad. I didn't miss them. I did miss them. Um, but I also knew that God had gone before me in all of those feelings and everything that was in my heart and my head and all those emotions, God had gone before me. And I personally felt really at peace with everything, which was looking back on it, I'm incredibly thankful for because it meant that I could fully embrace the experience that was before us. It meant that, you know, the time that we were away in every meeting, in every encounter and everyone that we met with, I I felt really confident to be fully present in all those conversations, in all of those meetings and everything. I didn't feel that I was constantly thinking of things back home. I know that, you know, everything was taken care of and yeah, God had gone before me in all of that. Um, And then another, just a really, again, snapshot for someone who's worked for the organisation for so long, Obviously, Open Doors works in so many different ways and the work that we do looks incredibly different in all the different countries that we work in. Um, But for me, it was incredibly surprising to see... um, the, the practical support and um, the different things that we did, you know, to be able to stand there in the flesh and see um, trauma care in action, to see livelihood projects, to see microloans, you know, to see it with my own eyes, all these things that I have read about and talked about and been a part of for so many years. It was incredible to see them um, in the flesh, really. That's so amazing because I feel like you guys had, uh, you know, Jess, you'd been working with the organization for so many years. Pete, you'd been with the organization for two weeks at the time that you left. Um, But just I love that God brought you guys together um, from these different places and then to be able to go uh, on this trip and have God work so deeply in both of your hearts. I mean, 
heat for you to share. It challenged you to consider w- w- is is to die really gain? Um, if you know if to, to live as Christ and to die is gain, is that a reality? Um, learning from our persecuted family, and then and just f- for you hearing you say, am I am I willing to to take that risk to step out of that boat? Um, you know, such different. Uh, s- uh, experiences, I guess, with God, but I just love that he, um, brought you guys together to go on that journey with him and to learn from our persecuted family. Um, because the area that you were visiting is quite a dynamic area. It's predominantly Buddhist, um, which results in quite a lot of pressure on churches and pressure for Christian believers to stop gathering and to stop worshiping Jesus. Uh, can you share with us uh, what life looks like for Christians in this nation and what was it like to see it firsthand? Yeah, absolutely, Jordan. Um, it was one of those amazing moments where sometimes we think persecution just looks like violence and attacks and these big moments. But for us, um, it was actually when we met at a pastor's gathering. We met a bunch of pastors and we were sitting in a circle having this conversation with them. And um, the uh, one of our translators pointed out to us that they struggled to get on transport. And so we asked this group of about eight pastors, um, so do you have any trouble with taking transport because you're a Christian. And in collective agreement, all of them immediately responded and agreed, yes, of course. No way. Yeah. And so for us, that was such a profound moment going, wow, that that just transports, just buses and getting from one place to another would be an issue. Um, something that we don't even have to worry about. Um, And we then asked, how do they know that you're a Christian? And they said that there's this particular day every month that everyone who's Buddhist will go to the temple to pray. And so if you don't go to the temple, they will know that you're a Christian. And so something as simple as that um, makes them stand up in society and and it enables them to experience this pressure and discrimination um, just because they follow Jesus. And um, we we sh- we talked to another pastor, um, this couple, husband and wife, who were dragged into the street just because they were handing out leaflets um, to come to the church that they run. And they didn't realize that that was something they couldn't do in this village because they're from the capital city. And so they were out in a rural area. And so um, they realized they couldn't do that. Um, and so this couple, they, they travel four or five hours every week um, just to be at their church every weekend um, because their kids can't go to a Christian school in that area. And so they'll travel to and from the, the capital city out to this little village just to meet people, just to share about the love of Jesus. And they shared with me that now they have 35 people coming to this little house church in a completely Buddhist village. And so they are so faithful with what wherever God sends them. They say God has sent us here. So they trust in God, that God has prepared them to face anything that they will face. Um, it's by his strength, by his spirit. Yeah, it was a really impactful time away uh, in this country. And um, it really challenged me that the pressures of believing in Jesus where we were uh, permeates all aspects of life. Uh, It permeates their work, their family uh, and their church community. And there was a story in in particular that really impacted me of how it just permeated all aspects of their life. It was uh, we sat down uh, with Pastor Indinil. Uh, of a church and he shared with us how 
um, there was one one day that they had found out that the the local Buddhist monk had been passing out leaflets, which was to organise uh, an attack, a riot, on the church, and so he uh, got in. Uh, communication with our local partners uh, on the ground. And so our local partners, um, the Open Doors, just uh, sent through uh, a team to come and be with them. And they had ins- they installed CCTV community cameras at the response to this threat. And uh, it was then the next day, and he's showing us the CCTV camera footage as we're sitting there with him of a riot of about a thousand people um, coming and harassing the church. And so he then shared with us about how the church community responded that uh, church members went to get their swords to defend the pastor and, and his dad had actually been an ex-criminal. So he had even gotten large rocks up on the roof to defend their community. And so the pastor's shouting at everyone to, to lay down your weapons. Like we're, we're not going to be violent. He's only self-defense. And so he even showed us some of the footage of um, them trying to get in and the church members stopping these people and punches being thrown between them. Uh, and, and he shared with us about how horrifying it was for his children uh, watching all of this on the CCTV cameras in their home uh, just next door and... And e- even after that event, um, there were local politicians, uh, um, community leaders, amongst police officers, officers amongst that crowd. And so um, he shared with us that they actually accused the church community of inciting that riot. Um, and so it was the CCTV cameras that um, our local partners put in the day before that, um, that really held up, you know, the, the story of the church, that they didn't incite this. And so the pressure in that moment was just so immense. But um, we spent time with that church. Uh, we had a service with them the next day. And, and um, Joel and I were actually able to spend time with some of the, the youth uh, after church, which was really special. And we met a young man who was 15 years old. Um, he was the nephew of Induil. Um, and he, um, at, at his school, there's no option for Christian teaching. And so he's, he's pressured to always be participating in Buddhist rituals, which he doesn't want to do. And so uh, as punishment, he would have his chair taken off him all day. I would have to stand in class. He would be ridiculed by his teachers um, as he would be the only Christian in his school. And so, but we even just, he shared this story with this, with this smile on, on his face. Um, and so, and that, that was, this was just one story of, of many of pastors who shared with us that, that their children, even though they were academically excellent, they weren't given valedictorian because they were Christian. Or so many instances where their children are affected are because of their faith in Jesus. But um, it was incredible watching uh, how our local partners come alongside them uh, to support these families, not just physically when it affects their work, but emotionally like uh, pastoring these families uh, as they um, withstand the pressures of following Jesus in their community. That is so profound because when, I mean, when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12, um, there was no part of me that considered that maybe it would impact my ability to get around or that maybe I would have to defend myself at a, at a when an attack would come against me when I was in youth group or at church. But this is their day-to-day reality. Like this is what they sign up for when they choose to follow Jesus. And um, the way that they process it is so gracious. I mean, for that pastor to say, actually, 
no attacking, you know, we, you, you can protect yourself, that's it. Um, and then, you know, for, for the CCTV camera to, to, to prove, you know, the innocence, um, it's just, yeah, it's just profound and, um, yeah, it just makes me consider the, the cost of following Jesus in, in a nation uh, like this one. Um, and, I mean, it is this what we call squeeze persecution, which is um, maybe not as... Um, not as you know dramatic you know it's not necessarily like a a big attack but it's the little small things the restrictions um that really make it so difficult they try and squeeze out uh christianity in in a nation but uh, in this country um there is also what we call smash persecution which is that dramatic violent persecution and there was a devastating terrorist attack um against multiple churches in in the nation that you visited um a, a number of years ago which It did result in uh, hundreds of deaths. And many of our listeners would have been praying over this particular church um, for safety and for justice. Uh, You guys actually got to visit that church. What were the lasting effects of this attack? And what was it like to engage with the people who had um, kind of walked through this, this devastating season? Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Um, It was quite sombering uh, sitting down with uh, the pastor's wife. Um, Her name was Manchara. And she took us through what happened on on that day in 2019. So it's quite recent. And um, she actually invited the the, um, suicide bomber into the church. And um, he said he had a phone call to make or he was waiting for a phone call. Uh, when he finally did get into the church, um, the, the associate pastor noticed from the front, God said something to him and said, you need to go over to that man and you need to talk with him and escort him out of the church. Um, and that is what he did. He put his arm around him and he walked him out to the foyer of the church and that's when the bomber uh, detonated the bomb. Um, but that associate pastor saved many lives. Um, there were 31 people killed. Uh, 14 children and 17 adults. Uh, but there would have been many more um, if he hadn't obeyed um, the Holy Spirit. So, yes, there's a lot. The aftermath, obviously, of that um, is is quite profound, really, because many of the uh, church members um, decided that they um, no longer wanted to come to church. They were afraid. And um, who can blame them? Um the um, the locals actually um, got up a petition asking that um, the church be basically closed down because they were scared of what had happened as well. But I, it was quite profound. While standing in their courtyard, I, as a team, we prayed right at the end. And um, it was like God said to me in that moment, um, he said, you're still standing on holy ground. He said... The church building may not be here, but he said, this is still my territory. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it's amazing um, just the faith of Minshara. Um, she literally, I saw joy on her face. And that's what really um, you know, spoke to me wow. was the fact that... Um, in the midst of, of, of tragedy and trauma, um, she, her faith in God um, is, 
was quite amazing. And uh, she said something that stuck with me. She said, we have to forgive. She said, it's not easy. But she said, if we don't forgive, then how can God forgive us? And finally, I'll just leave you with the mural. There is a mural of all the victims um, of the bombing. It's over in the church. We've been over to the church building. And uh, it's basically a huge um, photo picture of all the victims of that attack. And it's a stark reminder um, of what it means to lay down your life for Jesus Christ. Wow. And to have that mural there in that church, um, you know, while, I mean, while everyone's going to church, they're looking at that every day. Every time they go to church, they're reminded that, um, that that's the risk that they make in, in actually going to church. And, um, wow, what, what brave individuals. Yeah, Jordan, it was incredible standing in the ruins and rubble of that church and seeing that, that mural that you and talked about each face there was 31 faces there and each face had a story one was you know a teacher the other one was a parent of children that still remain and it was just heartbreaking to hear all the stories behind it firstly thank you to everyone that was praying or in 2019 i know there was a lot of support across the world for this particular church and thankfully we got to see here we heard some hard stories we also heard some positive stories I think my visit to this country really revealed what one of our local partners termed the ugly side of persecution. And oftentimes we hear the, the stories of great faith and great miracles and those happen and those still happen in the midst of darkness and ugliness. Um, but being in a place where the attack was just so recent, we got to see some of that ugly side. Um, even in that particular church, there was a, a son that attended the, the Sunday school that morning. The mum was not at church that morning and she heard of the attack and was just praying that God, please don't take my son. You can be injured, he can be in pain, he can be whatever, just don't take my son from me. And he, her son ended up being one of the deceased and and she, you know, backslid and lost her faith in a way. And so we heard stories like this where within the church, the church is still recovering through that process. Um, there was one girl that was not only blinded, but orphaned from that particular attack of the church that we went to. There was people, one lady had shrapnel hit her head and one side of her body was then paralyzed. She couldn't eat solids. I mean, there was even, there was 31 people killed, but the stories of the people that remain were just so difficult to hear. Um, but it wasn't without hope. And I think that's one of the great things that I recognize being a part of the Open Doors team is that we can try to provide hope to some of these people. Uh, we, we are a hope-filled organization. We know some of this pain and suffering is temporary, so we have an eternal hope. Um, but God invites us as, as believers, as followers, as people that work for Open Doors and our supporters who are listening. He invites us to be a part of that story and that mission. And so even after the attack, there was a whole bunch of motorbikes parked and they actually uh, added to the the I guess the sphere of the explosion, because once the bombing went off, they exploded the motorbikes. And so Open Doors local partners came in straight away and provided them with some motorbikes because that was many people's only form of transport outside of walking. And so Open Doors local partners came in and we heard stories like that. We heard stories of these uh, people that were uh, had long-term effects physically, even psychologically, how Open Doors local partners are helping them with livelihood projects, helping them provide for their family, um, especially with those who have lost provision because of parents. Um, 
being killed and other medical expenses and till this day our local partners hold such a strong relationship with the local pastor and his and, and his wife who we met uh, and so it's great to see that formative relationship happening and and she has positive reports they've got an, another temporary building that they're currently um operating out of and the church family is coming through strong and sitting down with this pastor's wife uh we we, we did see hope in her eyes. We did see joy. And she responded to us oftentimes with a sturdy posture and voice. Uh, and we, w- what that reminded me is that some of these church leaders and pastors in these countries, they really are the backbone of their churches. And, all, and they have to deal not only with their own grief of losing their own family members or best friends and ministry partners and, and congregation members, and they have to work through that pain themselves, but they're leading in the midst of darkness and trying to bring hope and doing it with a smile and keep staying Christ-centered. So that was, um, yeah, really in- encouraging to see. Um, but we do recognize that the reality and the depth of darkness that people do face because they're a Christian is quite dark. Um, but then we're also invited in that mission to help them. And so, yeah, we saw both sides, but yeah. And it's hard to hold that intention, isn't it? Mm. It's like you it's like the beauty of Jesus is that he sits with us in our pain and grieves with us. And at the same time, he is our hope. (laughs) You know, it's, it's both. And, and I think that's what it means to be the body of Christ is to be able to hold intention that the suffering of this life with the promise of eternal hope and eternal joy. Um, and I mean, because persecution looks different in every country. Uh, so our work looks different in every country. And so yeah. to, to, for our, for our local partners to be on the ground and to be able to meet those needs, um, it's going to look different, uh, mm all the time. So to be able to pivot to take care of, you know, trauma care or physical rehabilitation or a motorbike or Mm. bread or whatever it looks like. Um, You know, I think that's uh, a beautiful reminder to me of when we, when we do support um, the, the field, that's what we're supporting. We're supporting a very dynamic and flexible um, body of believers who are just passionate about responding to the needs of um, our brothers and sisters. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, I mean, there are so many things that I love about you guys uh, and about your team. Um, And you have told the story so beautifully since you've been back. And I've been lucky enough to listen to just a couple of them. Um, But is, I mean, every story is worth sharing. Every person you met, um, you know, their story is worth sharing. But is there any that have kind of stood out significantly to you or really impacted your heart or your discipleship uh, it, b- personally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we visited this church on the weekend that we were there, um, we met this beautiful family, which had two twin girls in these gorgeous matching outfits. And I'm a twin myself. I have a twin brother. And so immediately I was drawn to them and I started asking them, um, how did you come into this church? How did you you hear about it? And they said um, they found out through a friend who was very good friends with the pastor about this church that was in this remote Buddhist village. Um, and so they traveled far, a far way to get to this church as they're the only Christian family in their village. And so her parents and the two little girls, um, they would come to this church every single week. And I asked them, how can you continue to follow Jesus in this situation? And um, the mom said to me, we can stand strong because of God's love for us. 
And it was that moment of realizing, just like we see in scripture, it's God's perfect love that casts out all fear. And there was no fear with them at all. There was absolutely no fear. Even those these little girls were so young, they were so brave. And it just really struck me in that moment that when I was growing up as a twin, I never had to consider the cost of coming to church and the choice that my parents made to follow Jesus as much as my choice to follow Jesus and how impacted that would be on my walk with God. And so um, I was just so blessed in that moment that when I asked, what can we be praying for? They just simply said, pray that we would continue to feel God's love. And so that's, that's our prayer for them, that they would continue to know the love of Christ and that that perfect love would cast out all fear. Did you say that they were the only Christians in their village? Yes. So how far did they have to travel to get to a gathering? It would have been two or three hours. Wow. So they traveled two or three hours just together. I mean, it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? The the value of gathering, of being with other believers. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Wow. What a family. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, We were probably on the sort of the second half of the trip um, when we arrived at a house and we met with um, the wife of a pastor who had been martyred for his faith many years below. Um, Pastor Shiner was probably in her late 50s, sorry, late 40s, maybe 50s now. Um, She had a young son when they started pastoring their church um, and he was now 18 um, at the time. So she we met with her and she was this really quiet, um, kind of gentle spirited um, woman. And she invited us into her lounge room and um, we sat with her um, and had coffee and cake like we did for a lot of the week with a lot of the people we met with. But um, her story was significantly profound um, to me. And and Pete already touched on her story a little bit before when, um, you know, when we were talking about the forgiveness of the people we met because she had a story of forgiveness as well and um, Pete referenced it before. um, But basically um, her husband and her had started a church um, that they had been pastoring in their local village. It had taken them a series of like a season to get there, many years to get there. They'd started a young family. Um, and, you know, throughout their time in in pastoring their church um, in their local community, they had experienced some, some really horrific persecution. Um, you know, they had, the community had been physically and verbally attacked. The building had been stoned. Um, she recalled a story, recounted a story with us about how through one of their baptism services, um, local people had attempted to set their church building on fire. Um, You know, they had definitely walked through many... Um, many trials and, and what we refer to as, as persecution for for their church and what they do. Um, but there was one specific significant day that she told us about and that was obviously the day that um, her husband was killed and, you know, it was a pretty standard day for them. They were feeding their son who was two years old at the time. You know, she was feeding him dinner at the table and her husband had gone outside to receive his motorbike and bring it in um, for the day and, and put it in the in the shed where it was safe. And as um, he just seemed to be taking a long time. And as she went out to see what he was doing, she saw, um, you know, a government official man who is, he was like really nervous and sweating and he was running towards them and he basically opened fire on them. Um, her husband was gunned down. He was killed in the driveway. Um, 
she was shot herself and, like I mentioned, she was, you know, they were feeding their son. She'd picked up her son. She'd popped him on her hip. She'd gone outside. She was shot in the arm and therefore her son was flung from her arm. Um, oh, my gosh. Only to be miraculously back in her arms by the time she hit the ground, um, which was incredible. Um you know, we we could see, we could see the bullet wounds in her arm, sort of thing. She had X-rays. Um, she was able to talk us through the details and the trauma of that day. But um, you know, from our time when we were meeting with her, we then sat with her. We obviously talked about the significance of the day, and you know, she talked about as much as she wanted to in that. Um, but then, you know, she also went on to then talk about the trauma of the years to follow from that, you know, what her life looked af- looked like after that, you know, learning that her husband had been killed, um, the recovery journey for herself in recovering from her own physical wounds. Um, and then there was the psychological damage that left her and probably a more more unsettling was the trauma that was left with her two-year-old son. She, you know, again, I talked about the fact that I'm a mother myself. This story really dug deep into my heart and it ached because she talked about the trauma in, you know, her little little boy eating crackers into the shapes of guns and pretending to shoot people as they walked past. And, you know, when they had people in their house, um, she talked about the fact that her, her son because of the wounds that she had on, on her body from being shot herself, she actually talked about the fact that her, hus- her, sorry, her son withdrew himself from her as a mother and actually her sister had stepped in to help care for them throughout the time of healing and her son actually started to call her sister mum. And, like, that was, it was heartbreaking. It was really, um, it was really sad to, to sit with her. But, Jordan, the, the hope that beamed from this woman's face, you know, from face. Many years later, you know, she talked about her trauma, but she talked about how Jesus had healed her, how he had worked with her, how he had worked in the life of her son, how her son now had come to love Jesus and had a relationship with him. Um, you know, there's so many people in that situation that could, that could, that could have very easily walked away from God. But she, she went on and she continued to pastor the church and she healed and she still pastors it today. And um, it was, yeah, it was very significant and encouraging to sit with her. Um, and I was reminded personally of scripture um, and like I'll share the verse. It was it was wonderful to be able to read scripture with her and sit with her. But I was reminded um, from a verse from Proverbs. Obviously, Proverbs 31 talks about um, talks about a woman of noble character, um, but there were some specific verses that really stood out to me. And this few verses starting at verse 25, Proverbs 31, 25 says, she's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. And I was very struck by her and she obviously left a significant mark on my heart. But I can very confidently say that I sat with a Proverbs 31 woman that day. We sat with a Proverbs 31 woman. Um, she was amazing. And I think that everything that scripture there called, called her to be, she was, she was exactly that after, you know, such a traumatic life. Wow. I just have no words because it is just so hard to imagine that as a reality, but um, how profound and what an incredible experience to be able to sit with someone like that and to to soak um, up that 
that wisdom and, and to, to read scripture together um, and to meditate on, uh, you know, God being the same yesterday, today, forever across every nation um, in Australia, New Zealand um, and, and ev- even in Southern Asia. Um, I mean, one of the most beautiful things about being part of this global church that we're all a part of is the unity of prayer, um, that we can join our brothers and sisters uh, in prayer. So uh, if you guys could pray one piece of scripture over the nation that you visited, uh, what would it be and, and why? Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Um, yeah, I've thought a little bit about this and um, I've come up with Psalm 22 verses 27 to 28 and we read the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and will return to him all the families of the nations will bow down before him for royal power belongs to the Lord he rules over all the nations Uh, the reason I chose those verses is because Our God is the creator of all the earth and of every one of us. And he he loves us all unconditionally. And so it doesn't matter what country you're from. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And so I just believe that one day we read that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. And um, I just, yeah, that would be the, the prayer that I would pray over the nation that, that we visited, um, knowing one day that those words will come to pass. That's so beautiful. How about you, Nath? Yeah, prayer is such a powerful way that we can practically stand in unity. And, and I think it's really hit me that after meeting these people that they do actually need our prayers. We need a global church that's standing with one another. All of us need that, and so do they. And so um, if we were to pray for them for one thing, I, I, would, I would ask people to pray um, that when people are persecuted that they would follow the example of their saviour and not respond in the same way as their attackers, that they would not give into a culture of retribution, but em- embrace um, kingdom culture. And um, one, the, the story I shared before of that church that was under immense pressure and, and had a, a right was a really great example of this. Because um, after the attack happened, the um, pastor, pastor Indunil shared with us that um, afterwards that, you know, they they were all very upset. They were praying curses over um, the people that had attacked them, the people in their village, their community that had come against them and betrayed them. And um, he said that after three weeks, the church just started to feel so dry and stale. And he said that the Lord convicted him to not pray curses over them, but to bless them. So that reminded me of the uh, of what one of Paul's instructions in the book of Romans where he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And he said that they started to bless these people 
bless their persecutors, to bless their attackers. And he said that it was almost like revival started then, that their church became alive. And so uh, I just encourage uh, anyone back home that to pray that people would follow the example that we have in our Savior Jesus, that, um, that when people uh, come against us or, you know, with these, these believers, when people come against them, that they would bless them and would not curse them and look like our Savior. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's like putting into practice the words of Jesus where it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, I read that and I'm like, great. You know, what enemies do I have? Uh, but the, the persecuted church time and time again model to practically love those who are coming against you to attack your church or who are not letting you on the bus or who have even, you know, killed their husbands. Like that is such a deep level where a bitterness, you know, by the world standards would be totally understandable. In fact, encouraged, like, you know, it, it, it would be almost weird if you didn't feel that. Um, but to, to feel that, to lament with God and then to, to turn around and let God, um, you know, to change your heart, to actually love the people who have hurt you, man, I'm, I'm taking that away with me, um, from our conversation today of just such an encouragement because people might be interested to know that the country that you visited is not on the, the top 50 of the world watch list. So it is on the world watch list, but it's not even in the top 50. So when we talk about levels of, you know, persecution, uh, we have extreme and very high. So this would be in the high. So this is in the, the, the high segment and then we have very high and then we have extreme. So what you guys have shared today, um, where so many people, so many Christians have had, um, have been touched by persecution in so many ways, uh, you know, that they're not even in the top 50. So there are so many believers around the world who are facing this, uh, this level of persecution. And the World Watch List uh, for 2024 is coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. It's going to be out on the 17th of January. Uh, so that's going to be very interesting to see what kind of trends are coming through in persecution, which countries are experiencing high levels of persecution, uh, maybe where it's dropped off a little bit uh, and why. Um, but just to finish our time together, uh, Pete, I'd love you to pray for us. Can you pray for uh, these believers that we've talked about today, uh, for, for the, the people in this, this Southern Asian nation who are experiencing persecution? Um, would you pray for them for strength um, uh, in the opposition they're facing? Would you also pray for us and for everyone who's listening um, that we would just take that, that, um, that encouragement away, uh, that we would be those countercultural people who love our enemies and, and pray for those who persecute? Us. Love to. Let's let's pray. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Southeast Asia to you who are facing persecution. Lord, we pray for those who are enduring uh, hardships, facing persecution and harassment. May your presence be a fortress of strength in their lives, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you'd grant them resilience in the face of great opposition. May you may they stand firm, trusting you despite the challenges, Lord. And Lord, we just pray for all those listening today that we would that they would be an example for us, that we would be able to um, be bold in our faith, Lord, wherever we are, and share with those around us. But also forgive those who persecute us, Lord. 
Lord, we lift up those who have witnessed the depths of hardship and pain yet cling to you. We ask for a special measure of your grace and courage, Lord. Lord, be their refuge, be their strength and an ever-present help in, in, in trouble, Lord. Your light shine brightly in darkness and you may your peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you, team, for these incredible stories. I really honestly wish I could chat to you all, all afternoon um, about this and record it, but that would turn into a very long podcast episode um, as much as I would personally really enjoy that. But you guys have so many more stories where they came from. Um, And the good news is that if people do want to hear more of your stories, you guys go out and speak in churches. Is that right? So maybe, Joel, can you give us a bit of an idea of... Um, uh, how, uh, you know, if someone's listening to this and they want to get their church involved or they want to get one of you out there to share the stories or they want to connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, Jordan, thanks for mentioning that. There's a plethora of opportunity available for churches, colleges, youth groups, anyone that wants to get involved with the ministry at any level. Uh, What what we do throughout the years, we run multiple campaigns um, where we fundraise for money, but we also provide information and resources. Um, so that's one great way to stay on top of things on social media and our website. If you want to engage specifically with our team and partnerships, you want to, you're in a part of an organization, a church, a youth group, you can do that in a couple of ways. The, the easiest way would be to go to our website and go to the church dropdown and there is an inquiry form on there and you can put your details in there. Um, you can also just send an email to our general mailbox as well um, if you can find that email on our website. Uh, and there are multiple ways to get involved. So you can host an Open Door Sunday, which is dedicating um, a weekend to the persecuted church uh, within your local church. And even within that, there's multiple ways to do that. We can send you videos, resources, a preaching guide for people who might be passionate within the church to to host an open door Sunday. And then when there's availability, we do send out speakers as well. And so we have a team of frontline practitioners across Australia and New Zealand ready to engage with the Australian and New Zealand local church. Um, And we'd love you to be in touch with us. How epic's that? I mean, some of your resources are fantastic. The preaching guide's great. Um, you know, there are stories in there for people who want to be able to share the stories from the persecuted church and um, preach a persecution-focused sermon. Um, but then, you know, the people that are in the room today who have shared the stories um, that you're listening to, these are the people that are out in the churches sharing the stories. So um, do get in touch um, if you are interested in that. Well, team, thank you so much for being uh, with us today. We're so uh, great for your willingness to go um, to go to, to, to this country and to sit with these people and hear their stories and, um, and, and come back and share them. Uh, we love you very much. Thank you for being with us. Aren't they just awesome? I'm so grateful to work with this amazing bunch of people. I've been absolutely soaking up the stories uh, since they've been back. And I love how they all went on the same trip, but they each had such unique reflections. God is so personal and I just love how he takes each of us on our own journey with him. Now, as I mentioned in the episode, if you would like to connect with these epic humans, maybe you'd like to have one of them come and share at your church or connect you with the persecuted church in a way that really inspires your community, your congregation, you can head to our website, opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz, hit get involved and then click the church tab. Each of them are full of faith and love for God and for the church, both locally and globally. And I know that they would love to chat with you. Well, that's it for 2023. Can you believe it? (laughs) On the next episode, we will be launching the World Watch List 2024, which is our list of the 50 most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. 
we'll have some special guests joining us on that one. But I do just want to say from the bottom of my heart and from the whole team at Open Doors, thank you for coming along the journey with us this year. I'm just so grateful to have had your company as we've explored what following Jesus looks like in some of the wildest places on earth. Thank you for your prayers and support this year for our persecuted brothers and sisters and for the ministry of Open Doors. And we'll see you again in the new year. God bless. Thank you.